0: And colleagues. Um, uh, it is Wednesday, so that means it's uh, the night for Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I'm your hostess, Karen Tate, and I'm so glad to be with you again this week, uh, as I have uh, for the last 13 years. Uh, I want to thank uh, those of you who have been with me all this time, appreciate your listener loyalty, and just say hi to the new folks that uh, I know join, uh, join us uh, every week. Well, um, I sure hope you are enjoying spring. I know I sure am. Uh, It has been a rough winter by uh, Southern California standards. (laughs) Uh, We actually had uh, three feet of snow uh, sometime during this winter uh, in the new place where we're living, but uh, things have been beautiful, and uh, we are looking forward to uh, to a great uh, spring, summer, and the rest of the year, and uh, I wish the same for you Um, Now tonight, uh, I am so glad to have with me uh, Deanna Lamb. Uh, You might recall earlier in the year um, we had some technical difficulties and uh, we needed to reschedule the show, and I want to thank her for being so accommodating and uh, coming back uh, to speak with us tonight. Um, As we continue our series, we're contributors to the new anthology, Awaken the Feminine, uh, which where these contributors chat with me about uh, their essays in um, the new anthology titled Awaken the Feminine. And uh, Deanna uh, Lamb is with me. She is a motivational speaker, a workshop leader, womb visionary, and author. And uh, she is going to chat with me about uh, Daughters of the Divine, Have We Forgotten to Grow Up? Uh, That was uh, her essay in the anthology. I will distinguish between personal empowerment and being in service, how we might visualize and manifest a world where the divine feminine and masculine were in balance, and how this awakening to her as deity, archetype, and ideal Uh, Could very well save our world So uh, Deanna Thank you uh, again uh, For being with me tonight I appreciate your patience and, uh, And calling back to talk about this important topic
1: Thank you for having me No problem I think that we need to team up And to wait and accommodate the weather As we accommodate the elements And bring our message when we can In between the raindrops
0: <laughs> that that is such a positive attitude. Uh I sure appreciate uh that Deanna and uh you know there right there is a perfect example of uh, you know, your personal empowerment and uh wonderful female leadership. Um, you know, sometimes that means uh, you know, making lemonade of lemons, doesn't it?
1: Yes, yes, indeed. And I think that this is part of our power as women because we need to use our creativity to navigate different terrains, especially as women, because we are not linear, we're cyclical. So this brings the creativity of accommodating various terrains or through the months and over the years.
0: You know, I think that's a, that's a very good point and a very astute way of looking at things. And um, you know, maybe just another little clue about how life could be better if we sort of shook mm-hmm. off what we consider as normal. And, uh, you know, we rethink uh, better ways of being in the world. I mean, you yourself, you know, we uh, you call yourself, we call you um, a womb visionary. Uh, you know, you've mm-hmm. been a trailblazer, uh, you know, trying to define, uh, you know, the last missing pieces in women's psyches today. Um, why don't you talk a little bit more about that because uh, I think just that little tidbit you threw out shows – um, you know just how uh, you know beyond the curve you are. Thank you. Um, well, I am. Uh,
1: it's it, uh, you know a long. It can be a long answer. So what I would like to say in the, this moment is that some thirty years ago, I started a journey of personal empowerment around my menstrual cycle, which was playing havoc with me. I was very much a basket case once a month while the rest three weeks of the month, everything was going well. And those 30 years ago, no one talked about menstruation. It was a taboo to even mention the conversation, the word in a polite conversation in in a company. And since then, you know, we have gone a long way, and the Red Tent was um, written, and the movement was established around the world of Red Tent, and... Um, Even Newsweek had, you know, tampons on its front cover. So it's not such a hush-hush anymore. There is a long way to go. But it became part of consciousness of, if not the mainstream, at least the, you know, close to it. And here we are 30 years later, and I'm talking about menopause because I have crossed that gateway a few years ago. And I'm feeling back again where I was 30 years ago. Now no one says the word menopause. And now we're having to be on the leading edge again, reclaiming menopause as a spiritual path and rite of passage for ourselves as women in the same way that we continue to do for many decades now in the round menstruation.
0: You know, um, it, it does Seem seems like we have to rethink and reclaim everything, doesn't it? I mean, uh, we really just do need to get our pink-handled machetes out and blaze a new trail and um, create a new world in every uh, aspect.
1: It's true. It's true. And I think that maybe the silver lining in that is that we need to do it for ourselves. The culture is not going to hand it to us on a silver plate It's not going to all start one day and say, here, women, would you like to take some time off when you bleed? It's going to be us blazing the trail, like you said. And and I see that it is a challenging path, but I see it as a silver lining as well because it's in our hands. No one's going to hand it to us, but we can blaze blaze the trail ourselves.
0: Yeah, um, and that, you know, that that point you make, you know, the phrase you're using, nobody is going to hand it to us, Um, I think that is so important because, you know, as long as I can remember for the last 30 years I've been at this uh, at different points of my journey, um, you know, we always talked about, um, you know, may patriarchy fall, may, you know, we rebirth goddess at the center of the earth. Um, you know now we're talking a lot about um you know predator capitalism and uh, e- uh, income inequality and um you know the the powers that be out there um, you know whether it be the rich over the poor, whites over blacks, um, you know domestic people over immigrants, so whatever it is, you know the people who have the power who are uh, controlling things uh, they're never going to uh, give up their power unless some set of circumstances comes along and makes them um, see that they have to you know maybe somehow, they're yes. forced into it, shamed into it. Um, you know, the point is they're not going to hand it to us. We're going to have to stand up, get off the couch, and fight for it. And, uh, and I think maybe sometimes part of that is realizing we, um, you know, it, we're, we should have it, um, that we should not have been marginalized, you know, that uh, we should not be demeaned because we have uh, a menstrual period, because we have menopause. Um, you know, because I think sometimes when women have shame over those things, um, that tends to set up a psyche that uh, is more easily abused by the dominator culture. Uh, I, I don't know. Am I getting too heavy into this, uh, Deanna?
1: No. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I would say furthermore in the the vein of, of your, your uh, direction is that, menstruation self shaming and menopause self shaming are the two areas in our lives as women where we have taken on for generations the cultural taboos and shaming and we have internalized them and we are colluding with them. We have thrown the shackles of um, mis you know we started voting we, we um, started being equal to some extent in the workplace, we're demanding equal pay, we're going to running for office, we're breaking glass ceilings, we are shedding and breaking the shackles in every other way in which we've been oppressed. But these two, menstrual blood and menopause, which are the two sides of the same coin, is the one frontier where most women still have the shame and the taboo internalized. And that's why I'm looking at it as a final frontier because in all other ways we're very vocal about needing equality. And here we still need to find our voice.
0: Well, and if I could add a third weight to that stool... You know, I think it's a three leg stool. It's not just menopause, yeah. it's not just menstruation. I think it's sacred sexuality too. I think women uh, carry around a lot of guilt and shame around sex as well. Yeah. Thank you, religion. And um I, I yeah. think that also leads to um, you know, the you know, the more being more likely to allow ourselves to be um um, what do you call it um, uh, oh the words the words escaping me for the moment you know you know we we become um sex objects and yes. uh, you know rather than have respect for ourselves you know and um uh and you know and I've recently learned myself that if um if for some reason you know you have shame or you have guilt, um, you know, you're you are uh primed for uh, you know for being abused. I mean it's 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 all connected and yeah. um you know I I think that's something we need to talk about. I agree, I agree
1: and I'm glad that you added that third stool, uh leg on the stool and what I would like to say to that is that menstruation, menopause, and sexuality all relate to the area in our la- in our body that is the opposite of the cerebral mind. It's the opposite end. It's not at the top of our head. It's not our cognitive, rational, uh, dissecting mind. It is our depths of intuition. It is our depths of cyclicity. It is our depths of being guided from within through our menstrual cycle, through our sexuality, through our menopause. So it's no wonder that it is what was squashed and, and squelched by, by the culture that wanted to idolize the thinking
0: mind. Well, and, and you think about it, too, if, you know, you've grown up uh, your entire life where you had to feel shame or guilt about your natural bodily functions – um, that's pretty messed up, and I think yep. it's hard to overcome that sometimes.
1: Yes, yes. It's hard because I'm going back to the point of we have internalized it. You know, if someone were to yes. come to you uh, and say, shame on you, you have blonde hair. Shame on you, you are five foot three You look at them and you think, what's the shame in that? So there is no shame in that. But in that respect, in regards to our uh, menstruation and our sexuality and our menopause, we internalized it. And we ourselves now, a lot of women still, believe that there is something wrong with it, that it is gross, that it is yuck, that it is taboo. So we have no clue of its real power, and we have bought into the cultural story, and that's the painful part.
0: Right. Well, I know one of the ways, um, you know, one of the groups I used to work with uh, tried to uh, and I think it did, you know, helped overcome that, uh, that taboo, especially about our sacred blood, is we would use the sacred blood in ritual. We would anoint the foreheads of goddesses with it. Um, you know, we would anoint candles with it. And, you know, it starts to shift your perception, um, you know, when you're using uh, what came from your body, um, you know, as a, you know, as a sacred, sacred object in in a sense.
1: And not only that it came from your body, but it is a potent life-giving tissue. So the inner lining of our womb, when we start growing it in anticipation, in our body anticipating uh, conception, growing this inner lining, which if and when we conceive, that inner lining is the same one that will stay in our uterus, in our womb, for nine months and will feed and nourish the baby it's full of blood vessels and nutrients to feed the baby for nine months. So this very same tissue, this very same membrane, as soon as we don't conceive, and most of our lives we're not pregnant, we shed it. And that same membrane that would be such life-giving and none no in their right mind would ever think of chastising it in the belly of a pregnant woman if we just shed it without pregnancy all of a sudden there is a huge cultural taboo around it and opinions and grossness and disgust and it's the same lining that would feed the baby so it's not only that it comes from our body it's life giving potent tissue
0: well and and you know you think of you know it what you're saying you know we um you know we think of it uh negatively and we're just putting the shackles on ourselves um yeah. we really have to um shift our thinking on this and I don't know a better um uh Leader, uh, than you know, for this than, than you, Deanna. Let me read the you know a little bit more of your bio here, so uh, our listeners can appreciate uh, all you've done in the world and your wisdom. Uh, Deanna is the author of uh, two books. Uh, becoming Peers, Mentoring Girls into Womanhood. Uh, it's been translated into Italian and Spanish. Uh, she's also written A Diva's Guide to Getting Your Period, which has been translated into Italian, German, French, Spanish, Hebrew, and uh, Arabic. She's the founder of Red Tents in Every Neighborhood, which is a global network. Purple Moon, Menopause as a Spiritual Journey. Red Moon, School of Empowerment for Women and Girls, Boom Wisdom Tribe and International Red Tent Day, uh, which is generally uh, celebrated uh, on November 8th. So, um, we definitely have with us tonight uh, a woman who knows what she's talking about. Um, so, Deanna, fill us in a little bit. Um, tell us how you discovered the Divine Feminine and what difference it made in your life.
1: So, interestingly enough, I discovered the Divine Feminine through discovering the sacredness of my blood because um, they went, for me, the discovery went hand in hand. So. I was 30 years ago. I was uh, trained as a as a psychotherapist. I was I had a private practice. I had a relationship which uh, was working for me, which is still I'm still married to the same guy. And once a month, I was a, a really a basket case emotionally. I didn't have physical symptoms. I had emotional symptoms irritability and such, and I decided to go and investigate how indigenous cultures held men- menstruation because I didn't believe for a moment that nature could have designed us to suffer by design. It just couldn't, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. So I started realizing the sacredness of the blood and the sacredness of the goddess at the same time. So through the realization of the depths of intuition and guidance that we can reach during our moon time, if we allow ourselves to go in, to connect with the divine, to, as indigenous cultures say, to realize that when we bleed the veil between the worlds is thinnest, through that we can access her, and she's the one who's been suppressed by patriarchy, to emerge as a as a single masculine god that has nothing to do with the sacredness of the cycle. So we are living in a linear world, and what I discovered was the this, this sacredness of the cyclicity of my body and of the goddess.
0: Okay um well uh, I, I i that was a, that was an interesting way to come to goddess uh, to be honest um uh normally i don 't hear that but that's that's quite unique and um and in in an incredibly powerful way uh as well you know sometimes uh, or oftentimes i've heard you know people find the goddess and then they get into the bodily aspect of it if you will you know um but, right. but yours your was a little bit different. Um, Well, one of the things I wanted to chat with you about tonight was, um, uh, you know, your essay in the, you know, the latest anthology, "Awaken the Feminine. Um, It's kind of a provocative title, but I like it. I think it's appropriate. And, you know, I I wanted you to share, uh, you know, your thoughts uh, with listeners. Um, Your essay in the book was Daughters of the Divine Feminine, Have We Forgotten to Grow Up? What did you mean by that, Deanna?
1: So there is a way in which when we discover the goddess, the big mama of us all, we are getting into the position of being her child and asking for her protection and empowerment and healing and growth and what have you. And I was there myself asking, asking, tagging at the skirt of the goddess at all times because You know, when we discover her, we are on our spiritual path like little children, and she's our mother, and we're needy, and we we need her help and her guidance and her support. And what I've realized after so many years is that in some ways I and we may have gotten stuck in that position of a child who keeps asking mother to provide, keep asking God that, you know, we're doing spells and we're doing whatever we're doing and we're asking her for things. And it occurred to me that we need to grow up into the phase of helping to serve her rather than asking her to provide us that we have been receiving from her. It was absolutely age-appropriate, so to speak for the early stages of discovering goddess, but we need to grow up into an adult service to her, and not necessarily abandon asking, but really incorporating the adult service, because I do believe that as we each awaken, she awakens. Our awakening is a expression, an expression of her awakening. So we can't continually keep asking her of things. We need to realize what is it that we can, how can can we serve her? What is it that we can offer on the path of her awakening rather than only what we want for ourselves?
0: Yes, yes. Um, You know, I've often likened it to um, we treat her like she's an ATM machine and we keep (laughs) making withdrawals,
2: (laughs) (laughs) you know
0: uh we we go for love, we go for money, we go for a job, we go for health, whatever it is, you know, we just keep going mama, mama please, you know, um uh you know, give us more, give us more. Uh but you're yeah. saying very astutely, um and I totally agree that um you know, after a certain point and we're not the needy baby anymore, um we have to uh then put you know, put on our big girl pants and, um, you know, start being in service. Um, Give some examples, Deanna, of ways listeners um, could be in service uh, if they're not already, if they want to make that shift.
1: So the first shift, I would say, is realizing that we're not empowering ourselves, but that our um, empowerment is collective, And as we help other women get empowered, we are shifting the global consciousness. We're shifting the collective consciousness and helping the collective awaken. So it's not only, oh, I've asked for winning the lottery and I won the lottery, so I'm fine. Well, I haven't, but I'm just saying that as an example. We're not not in isolation. We're all part of the fabric of the goddess. So the first iteration that I would want women to think about is that we are not empowering just ourselves individually, that we need to shift our consciousness from self-empowerment. I mean, even those words, self-empowerment, we used to say self-empowerment for years, but really it's a collective awakening. We're not empowering self. We are helping to awaken the collective.
0: Well, in in some ways that I think we can help awaken the collective, um, we can teach. Um, We could uh, organize, you know, we we could get a book, you know, maybe a leader in the goddess community, even one of your books, and, um, you know, and and get get some of our women friends together and read the book together and talk about the book together. Um, I mean, uh, there's lots of different ways to, um, you know, to to raise this awareness. You started the Red Tents, the Purple Moon, the Womb Wisdom Tribe. You know, you do the International Red Tent Day. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways, and we're only um, stopped by our own lack of creativity.
1: I agree. I agree. So, absolutely, by getting together and sharing what you know and what you have learned with other one other woman, one other woman, or may many. Um, That's definitely one way. I want to point out another way, which is how we raise our daughter and how we raise our son. So we have an Mm. opportunity for those of us who are mothers, biological mothers, stepmothers, teachers, aunts, you know, any capacity of having a girl or a boy in our lives, we have an opportunity To help awaken that consciousness in the girls we raise, to be raised empowered, to stop the chain of pain, if you like. stop the legacy of um, self-shaming and guilt that has been perpetuated for generations and offer our girls a different perspective on themselves as women uh, made in the image of the goddess. And raise boys that are raised as equal parts to um, all humanity rather than as sons of patriarchy.
0: Right. Um, you know, I, I know you talk about uh, the world would be different when the divine feminine and the divine masculine are in balance, and that starts yeah. with uh, how those uh, boys and girls are raised by their mothers and their fathers. Um, yeah. Deanna, what do you think, um, I, I mean, you know, we, we talk a little bit more, I think, about how to empower girls, but how, um, do you have any ideas on how to, um, you know, share shift, um, how boys think, you know, how they're affected by patriarchy, how do we turn them into an embodiment of the divine masculine?
1: Well, that's a very good question. Um, I saw a a short little video from Scandinavia that was making an experiment with, with boys and girls and they were Putting the girls in a very um, clear disadvantage, and the boys were completely alarmed by it. Why can't she have the chocolate that I have? Why can't she have the treat that I have? I'll share mine with her. So, but just by showing on a on a playground level what patriarchy does to your playmates in your kindergarten group, and we as young children have a strong, strong sense of justice. The boys immediately were incensed by how injustice was just made here. So I would say rather than looking at huge picture with, with children, bringing it home. I mean, if you can have something that your brother can't have, would that be fair? If you ca- can have something your sister can't have, would that be fair? So really learning it in the context of your kindergarten, your class, your family, and then realizing that that's how the world, if it's not fair in your family or in your class, how would it ever be fair in the world? And guess what? The world is
0: following those rules, and we are raising you to change them. Right. Well, and, you know, one thing that comes to mind, too, is, you know, we automatically teach little girls to be nurturers and caretakers. But, you know, we don't teach little boys to do that. Um, And we also, you know, take little boys, I think, away from the mother a little bit sooner, too soon. In fact, you know, I've had psychologists on the show say, and, you know, then they're um, more adversely affected by, you know, hierarchical uh, stuff, you know, that happens on the playground, sort of survival of the fittest stuff. And, you know, maybe if we just didn't have gender oriented toys, you know, let the boys and the girls play with the dolls, let the boys and the girls play with the trucks and the cowboys. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, an oversimplification, but um, I think if little boys learned nurturing early on and that it was their responsibility as much as it is the girls' job, I think that could make a big difference as well.
1: I agree, absolutely. That's one, one aspect. Another aspect is to continually develop collaborative games. So rather than things where each one is playing with their own truck or their own doll, both genders with both, but still those are a lot of times those are individual toys that an individual plays with by themselves. But creating collaborative games where boys and girls need to collaborate and help each other in order to reach the goal. So not competitive games, which is what we have, but collaborative games would be another way to. Um, achieve that, and not only equality between them, but also the spirit of collaboration versus the spirit of competitiveness.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and it goes without saying, you know, boys would have to be raised to respect women, not see them as sex objects, you know, things um, to serve them. Um, you know, they would have to be, um, you know, looked at uh, as equals, and w- which makes me think about the divine feminine not so much as deity but more divine feminine uh, as an archetype or um, uh, values and ideals, and I, I think that's maybe uh, – you know, some of the aspects that might even be a little bit more important uh, for boys to grasp, you know, those aspects of the sacred feminine because, you know, that will shape them into the men that they are going to become, you know, uh, if if we... Yeah. Um, Uh, you know impress upon them early the importance of the values of the feminine of the values of female role models then you know maybe they don't grow up into these um, I mean I hate to say it but you know thugs um, you know that are going to kick the dog and punch their wife and uh, Mm. take um, you know health care or uh, you know, something away from, you know, or, or food out of the mouths of children, uh, you know, if if they mm-hmm. grow up and have that power.
1: Yes, yes. Well, you know, in that regard of, of the sacredness of, of our body, I'm always um, loving to revert back to the words yoni and lingam, which are the, the Sanskrit words for vagina and penis. So yoni in Sanskrit, which is the word for our vagina, is sacred space. And lingam, which is the word for penis, means a wand of light. And I always marvel at how differently children's lives are if they are raised to know that they have sacred space and a wand of light between their legs. So then the whole picture is, you know, you can't abuse that. It's sacred to begin with just by the sheer words of it.
0: Well, and and not only that, but and you know, just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit, um, you know, you're telling them that they are sacred, and the yes. you know, and everyone else is too, because we've all got one or the other. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, so yeah. So I mean, that sets the tone for um you know just just uh, i mean this is common sense stuff but it's but it apparently we have to say it uh because you know we have so many people out there that you know don't look at others in that way you know they uh maybe they're a different color than them or they have a different god or they speak a different language and uh you know they're devalued, uh but if we yes. really looked at that and believed it, we would you know we would value all of humanity and maybe less likely to drop a bomb on somebody across on the other side of the planet
1: <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's it starts with language because the language shapes our consciousness and the children's consciousness. So it's not enough to say your body is sacred, but how you speak about parts of your body, how you speak about your body as a temple
2: is where it starts.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, Deanna, um, uh, and, and you may know of others, uh, uh, but I, I happen to know about Roberta Cantau's, uh Blood yes. Time, Moon Time, Dream Time trilogy. Yes. And, um she hers is the only one I know of that actually encourages bringing um, fathers and brothers into the whole um, process you know when a girl uh, celebrates her sacred blood for the first time and I would imagine she probably ought to do a follow up and do one on menopause as well Um, but Mm. I want to ask you um, how soon can you bring um, a young girl into a red tent and do you ever bring young boys?
1: So I invite young girls into the red tent once they have their blood. Of course, you know, uh, suckling babies, you know, nursing moms, nursing moms with babies in arms, absolutely when the babies are starting to crawl, maybe not so much because it might be disturbing the peace if someone wants to be resting there and and meditating. Um, So once they are starting to be out and about as babies, as as toddlers, then they better stay with um, other members of the family. And that realm of the red tent is then shrouded in mystery until a girl receives her first blood because it's a mystery that she can't relate to before her own body is ready to start cycling. So it's not an age. For me, it is when a girl starts flowing. That's when she's welcomed and in terms of introducing boys and men and fathers and brothers into the celebrations i am of the belief of both ends rather than rather one or the other so i do believe strongly that women and girls need to have spaces where women only gather because we need to have that space sacred space for ourselves just for us and it doesn't negate that there can be a separate celebration where the boys, you know, the, the girls' fathers, siblings, um, you know, cousins, whatever, can be celebrating and honoring her and be part of the festivities, but it doesn't have to take away the time when she's only with the mother and grandmothers and aunties and, and women only. So I would advocate both.
0: Okay, Um, yeah, and and that makes perfect sense. And you know, I wonder. You know, thinking back to the days before I actually, um, you know, had my my uh, you know my my, uh, menstrual cycle. um, You know, those few years leading up to it. You know, we got to see the film. In uh, public school, you know, um, yes. and I wonder um, if the if the girl doesn't come to the red tent till she's actually having her sacred blood. Um, do you advocate doing anything when maybe you feel she might be getting close? I mean, is there preparation to kind of get her ready for it? You know, maybe um, when you think, gee, you know, maybe this is going to happen in a year or two, so. Um uh, you know, does that make, is the question making sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a few fold answer here. So one is this is exactly why, uh, for whom, I wrote a diva's guide to getting her period, because this is in preparation. It is a booklet for girls that can be given to girls before in preparation, because it speaks about the sacredness of the blood that they will receive, so it gives them... There are beautiful pictures and there, there is text that, that they can start living into that vision, but they're not sitting in the circle of the bleeding women. So that's one. Another is that I recommend that moms begin to gather a box full of, you know, I'm, I'll say some of the things that I had been gathering before my girl. She's now 18, before she started her blood when she was 11. I started gathering wherever I went. I went and I saw in a store a bright red mug. And I thought, that would be a great mug for Moontime Tea. So I bought Moontime Tea and I bought the mug. And I put them away. She didn't know about it. And I gathered a a journal and a pen and uh, cloth pads that I wanted her to have. And that was over about a year. So when she started flowing, I was ready. I was like a mama that. Uh, feathering the nest of the baby chick that would be born. So I would recommend that moms prepare themselves more than educate the girls. The girls need to be educated as much as they ask questions. We often give them too much information before they ask it for it, and it sometimes is not serving them
0: right right and and just the doing what you just described i think is probably um an example of um being in service you know getting yes. you know Getting preparing yourself to, you know, Good. you're raising your own awareness so that you can raise your daughter's awareness. Um, and of course, you know, I'm I'm sure you, you know, uh, in these teachings in your book, you know, you're also teaching them about the divine feminine, and maybe that's their yes. uh, could be some of their first introductions to it, unless they'd been going to rituals, you know, maybe right. with their mom or their family if they're right. they're in a like-minded community. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, Deanna. Um, your books have been translated into all of these languages, and you know we we hear horror stories around the world where women are still relegated to the menstrual hut and stuff like that. Um, do you think, or do you have a way of knowing if any of that's improving? Since there's so much more positive information out there now about Um, women's bodies and our cycles and stuff? I mean, are, are we making a dent?
1: I think so, but we might be making a dent on a very narrow scale because the dent that is made primarily is with provision. So I think it's crucial and essentially important that girls in developing countries do have menstrual hygiene products so they don't stay home from school. But Giving and providing girls with products so that they can go to school says nothing about the sacredness of them or of the blood. So we are, we are making a dent, but we're making a dent with the provision and with the product and not so much with the consciousness. That's where the work right, is right. still a lot of it is ahead of us.
0: Yeah, you know, because, uh, I mean, I know this is a separate subject, but it it just popped into my head. You know, you still have all of these places where, you know, women are perpetuating, um, you know, um, female genital mutilation onto girls. Um, You know, they they certainly aren't getting the message that their bodies are sacred uh, or that sex is a beautiful, pleasurable thing. Uh, In fact, you know, they're getting the opposite messages. So yeah yeah that's um well, uh, you know Karen
1: I want to remind you asked me to remind you um of the time and we have 3 minutes before I need to go cuz I have another commitment so I'm reminding you
0: Thank you. Well listen, let's wrap it up here. Um, I want to mention your website is your name. It's Deanna Lamb, D E A N N A L A M dot com. Um Deanna, I'll give you the last word. I know you have to run, you've got important stuff to do tonight. Um, what would be your closing comments?
1: I would say appreciate yourself you know as a woman as a girl as a crone as a woman at any age you are here in this day and age as part of the awakening consciousness of the divine feminine and just appreciate that about yourself appreciate the fact that you are in a woman's body that has the miraculous capacity to renew itself every month whether you choose to give birth or not you are still renewing yourself every month with your womb and this is a great gift that you can tune into as a means of divination and intuition and inspiration so use it
0: well, thank you, Deanna. And I want to just say um, I appreciate you. Um, you know, we've known each other for a lot of years. Uh, you were on my show back in the early days, and I'm so glad we've kept in touch and you've contributed to the anthologies, and I'm just in awe of uh, your work in the world. So, listen, you go do what you got to do. I am going to remind listeners of your books and your website And uh, I'm sure we will be in touch. I have a great evening, Deanna. Thank you you for being on the show. Thank you so
1: much. I so much appreciate you, Karen. Thank you. Many blessings.
0: You're welcome. Many blessings to you, too. Good night. So, um, we have been listening to Deanna Lamb, a womb visionary, motivational speaker, workshop leader, author, and trailblazer who defined the last missing pieces in women's psyche today, which is harnessing the spiritual forces hidden in both menstruation and menopause. Uh, She's been leading workshops and certifying facilitators nationally and internationally for over 30 years. Uh, Her books are Becoming Peers, Mentoring Girls in Womanhood. Diva's Guide to Getting Your Period uh, she's the founder of uh, Red Tents in Every Neighborhood Purple Moon um, uh, for Women in Menopause uh, Red Moon School of Empowerment for Women and Girls um, she's also the founder of the Womb Wisdom Tribe and International Red Tent Day and um, her website is her name Deanna Lamb D-E-A-N-N-A-L-A-M and I am so glad you have met her all those years ago and Uh, She never ceases to amaze Me um, everything she's Accomplished um, so before we go tonight, um, I would like to uh, say, uh, first of all, that the music I had opening the top of the show was uh, from a group out of Las Vegas called Nomads Land. And uh, I'm sorry, they're called Zingaya. Zingaya is the group. Excuse me. Nomads Land was the actual cut uh, you were listening to. Uh, Zingaya is a great group. Um, uh, out of Las Vegas, as I mentioned, and um, I would encourage you to go hear some of their music uh, online and, um, you know, maybe get one of their CDs. Um, Before I let you go tonight, uh, there's a word from Joe Carson. So please um, uh, stay with me until uh, this is over because I have a few more things to say to you when um, when Joe is finished telling you about uh, Dancing with Gaia
2: most people's psychic experiences are dreaming. And it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding, the core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen, we all hallucinate, we all go into a state of consciousness that for me is the collective unconscious. This psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet what's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Because all peoples, all races, all tribes from the past right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness which is the dream mind. That symbolic archetypal exemplified by fairy tales or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples the symbols of them the same and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us
0: Well, you've been listening uh, to uh, one of the trailers for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. In it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of goddesses Gaia. You might not have known, but Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this great film. These spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. If you've always Wanted to see them yourself, but haven't. This is a great opportunity to experience some of the best ones right from your armchair, and you can get their full story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45 page color mini book, which goes even deeper into the material. You can buy the DVD and booklet for only $20 at dancingwithgaia.com. Pretty good deal. Um, Also, I want to uh, let you know what's uh, coming up in April. Uh, we're going to continue having some of the contributors uh, that were in the new anthology, Awaken the Feminine, uh, on the show, of one of which will be uh, Lauren Time, uh, who's published um, a, a dozen books. Um, we're going to be talking to her about her essay in Awaken the Feminine, which is How to Reboot Humanity Using Sacred Feminine Concepts. Um, also with me is uh, Alicia Evans and uh, our topic is going to be sacred feminine wisdom from a white wolf from anger to fear understanding how to lead with embodied power and grace. I think that sounds interesting. Um, I'm also going to have uh, T. Erica Patterson with me. Uh, she's the founder of our uh, Female-Led Society. That's the name of a group uh, and the author of a manifesto for a female-led society. Uh, I think um, she's going to have some interesting things to say. Um, we're also going to talk to uh, Ashley uh, Kolsnick, and um, our topic when she's on the show is uh, Future Sacred, the Connected Creativity uh, of Nature, and um, Heather Dawn Goldberg uh, is also uh, going to be with me, and uh, we're going to be talking about um, uh, sacred oils and um, uh You know, uh, I'm I'm trying to see exactly. Uh, She's going to, you know, make recommendations for the best oils to use for uh, meditation and uh, well-being. She actually has a book out, uh, Essential Oils for Mindfulness and Meditation, Wellness and Well-Being. So we're going to hear from her. And uh, you might have heard of uh, the famous percussionist, uh, Alessandra Bologna. Uh, She uh, has written a new book, and um, she's going to be on the show with me. We're going to be talking about um, her drumming technique, the healing aspects of it, how it's associated uh, with the Black Madonna. And um, also uh, uh, Trelawney Grenfield-Muir is back with us, uh, and we're going to be talking about... um, uh, not Your Father's Warrior Archetype, uh, eco-feminist warriors on the rise. And, um, and, and one of the last um, uh, interviews this month is going to be with Susan Degaya. Uh, she's re- recently... Um, put out a two-volume encyclopedia of women in world religions, faith and culture across history. So we have a really diverse selection of guests for the month of April. I hope you'll tune in. And one way to not miss any of these interviews is to go to the show page for Voices of the Sacred Feminine on Blog Talk and hit that follow button. And what that will do is it will automatically send an email to your inbox, and you can listen to the show uh, at your convenience. Uh, it's, they're always there in the archives for you, and uh, that way you don't have to listen live. Uh, you can just listen to it when um, you know when it's convenient for you. And finally, uh, just a reminder, because I know some of you have been having trouble finding me, um, my website and email have changed. Uh, My new website is karentate.net, and my new email address is karentate108 at yahoo.com. So I would love to hear from you. Um, and uh, I hope you will, you know, make a note of my new contact information so that when you do have something to say or a guess you'd like to recommend or maybe you'd even like to make a donation, uh, you can get in touch with me and find out uh, exactly how to do that. Well, that about does it uh, for me tonight, uh, dear listeners. Uh, I am going to close with um, something else from that uh, group, Zingaya. It's called Sekhmet Mix. Uh, so if you're a fan of Zingaya or Sekhmet or uh, you're just a lover of goddess music, uh, please hang with me just uh, another couple minutes uh, and you will hear uh, Zingaya's Sekhmet Mix. Here we go.
2: I uh-huh.